GM Droids, my name's The Captain and this is Moonbrain, your semi-regular audio serving of Droid Dow goodness. Look, I hope whatever sports team you support is performing at a level that you're satisfied with and uh, whatever Ponzi you're over-invested in is doing even better. I've got a really exciting show for you today showcasing Droid's latest investment proposal. I'm speaking with Ben from CrossFund. Now they're a VC fund specialising in early stage investment in emerging markets. I'm excited because it can be kind of difficult getting exposure to some of these markets and for the average chump like me getting early stage exposure is almost impossible. CrossFund I think might just be able to change that and so it gives me great pleasure to welcome Ben from CrossFund onto Moonbrain. Ben, how's it going mate? Yeah, it's going great Ryan. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your time. Excited to be here and to share more about CrossFund. Of course, yeah, it's it's come along at a good time actually. Like um, things have been pretty quiet in um, <clears throat> in Web three overall, um, and and I guess the wider markets a little bit as well. But yes. from what I can see, you guys are just crushing it. So what, what's happening? What are you doing in this bear market that um, that everyone else is missing? Yeah, no. So I mean, I think uh, the markets obviously took a turn for the worst <laughs> last year. It's yes. been about twelve months since the markets took a turn for the worst. I think we've been fortunate in that uh, uh, two things have been more resilient. One is uh, emerging markets. We still feel there are a lot. We still feel there are there are uh, lots of investors looking to invest in emerging markets, which mm-hmm. is great. And the second thing is um, early stage. So the pre-seed to pre-series A has been more resilient than let's say the later stage companies. So for us at CrossFund, because we do only emerging market, only early stage. I think we've been able to stay more resilient than some of the uh, some of the other, let's say, funds or, or obviously startups that are at that later stage and have had to take uh, down rounds or discounts. So I think it's just just a function of our focus area that's allowed us to keep growing. Yeah. Yeah. And how how did you guys actually get get started? By the way. Yeah. So um, well, I spent about uh, ten years almost in Asia. First in Japan, then India, Korea and now China since about 2017. Uh, so I kind of got to see a lot of the growth happening in Asia, especially in India and China these past years. And I saw a lot of these same trends that happened there taking shape in the new emerging places like Vietnam, Indonesia, Philippines, Pakistan, etc. So um, I was able to see a lot of similarities in what was happening in those markets. And I was investing myself in, into these markets and I found there were a lot of other angels who were looking for access to these countries, just because demographically, a lot of these countries are really attractive. It's from a macro point of view, investing in them makes a lot of sense. Um, so I saw the opportunity to not just obviously keep investing myself into startups in these countries, but also bring other people in and, and, and give opportunities to investors um, to join into my deals pretty much. So. So that was the idea behind CrossFund. So you were literally you were literally just there as an angel investor by yourself, finding on, on the ground, finding these companies and and sort of growing it from from that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, my background's more as a founder, so I have experience building companies, and I had an exit in my first venture, so I have experience operating and then taking something to exit, which has always been helpful uh, as an angel, being able to have that background as a founder and also to connect with the founders. What, um, yeah. what sort of industry was that in? Uh, so my first company was actually in the energy industry. Oh, wow. It was in energy, yeah. And then I did one in sports tech, one in education. So it's been very broad experiences. 
Um, but uh, yeah, since 2018, really 2019, uh, I've mainly been investing as an angel almost on a full-time basis. So yeah, I've been myself in these markets, building up my network and, and connecting with founders. So yeah, that's, that's how CrossFund started. Amazing. Do you watch Shark Tank, by the way? I used to a long time ago, but uh, not so much anymore. <laughs> is it in any way like what, what investing uh, in VC investing is like or not at all? Um, I think it has certain similarities um, in terms of, uh, you know, the founder has to make a pitch. You have to be able to sell yourself and the idea. There has to be some kind of financial return or forecast that makes sense. There's some kind of deal terms that make sense for the investors. I think that makes sense. I think from the founder side, it might actually make more sense. From the investor side, I feel like it's a little bit too glorified there on the show, at least from when I last saw it. Most investors won't act like that, to be honest. <laughs> uh, most are actually, uh, you know, friendlier than that and more accessible. And uh, uh, I think we'll ask more about how they can help versus just trying to get some really, really good deal terms and negotiate down. Maybe because those are like super angels on the show, perhaps. But I feel the average angel investor is actually not behaving in that way. <laughs> it's my feeling. Yeah. Um, as one, I, I want to pick up on one of the things you said earlier, which we were talking about um, demographics. And <laughs> I was thinking like like Vietnam, for instance, and this might be old information, but I'm kind of I'm half remembering something from a while back. But, but Vietnam has got quite a young population, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and is that sort of what you mean? Like you're kind of like compared to like a lot of other parts of the world where we've got aging populations, is that kind of one of the things that is attractive for, for investors? Definitely, definitely. So if you look at Vietnam in particular, it's a very young population. Um, I think a big percentage of the population is under 30, 35. Uh, they're very tech savvy as well, which is important. Um, a lot of them now are starting to speak English. Which is, which is good. It obviously helps the international business when you speak English. Um, the, there's a rising middle class, so the ability to spend and the purchasing power is increasing for people, which is obviously important too. Um, so yeah, these are some of the main drivers when we talk about uh, demographics. Also, a lot of uh, Vietnamese who maybe went and studied overseas and got really good educations and got exposed to, let's say, international business or entrepreneurship, things like this, are coming back to Vietnam and settling down and starting starting companies. It's not always helpful because sometimes it's the more local people that actually have the better ideas, uh, but it does help when some of those uh, uh, students come back after graduation and then set up businesses in the country. So Vietnam in, in particular probably has the strongest demographics in, uh, in Southeast Asia at least. I I went um I went to a Miss Universe competition in Vietnam once. Wow, I'm sure that was really really good. Uh, that wasn't I um I was, it was not. Well, well, it was I kind of um I mucked around and I was late and then um I I was, I was supposed to be there with the press pass covering it, um but I got sort of waylaid in Saigon and then arrived late and then they told me I wasn't allowed the press pass so I kind of missed oh. it. Oh, that sucks. sucks. <laughs> I did, did a little bit. But then somehow I got into the after party, so it kind of worked out. That's even better. That's even better. <laughs> um, oh, that's, quite, that's, that's really interesting. So, But the other thing you kind of said is that you had, when you were in places like India, um, you had you had <laughs> kind of noticed some trends 
and then you could see the same thing happening in in these other markets. What are some examples of of those sorts of trends, even broadly? Yes. That's a good question. Um, it's kind of the similar trends I was mentioning in terms of demographics, but I think I think one important thing is the countries start to shift away from maybe what traditionally they focused on, like in China was manufacturing, for example, and starting to shift towards technology, right? For example, uh, uh, I'll take Saudi Arabia, because I think that's maybe the most blatant example. Uh, a lot of their wealth comes from oil and gas and energy, obviously, mm-hmm. but now they're doing a big shift towards tech, right? And the government's investing heavily in incubators, accelerators, into startups. They want to create, I think, 10 unicorns by 2030 or something like that. So pretty much the country starts to diversify its economy into things that are more uh, tech-related or innovation-related. So that's kind of what China did with the shift away from manufacturing. Um, now Saudi Arabia is doing that as one example. A lot of these countries too, like in like in Vietnam as well, they're starting to do that. Even Bangladesh, although it's very nascent, let's say maybe the most nascent of the emerging markets, is even I'll call it a frontier market. They're mm-hmm. also trying to do that. So I think that's important when the country starts to look at ways to try and diversify the economy. Uh, that's a good signal that there could be a, a, a potential for growth there. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, and so as an an investor, what um, what what's your sort of competition for deal flow in these in these other markets? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think one good thing about the, these markets is that there's less competition, just because there's not as many sources of early stage funding in these uh, in these markets. There's not really any like established angel groups or networks. There's not many international funds that look at these markets at the early stage. So pretty much you're only competing with like the few angels or angel groups that are there, which normally aren't very big, and some of the local funds. A lot of the local funds also may not have the risk appetite to invest in the pre-seed or seed stage. So pretty much we tend to find ourselves being one of the, uh, not only, but one of the few uh, investors that are active in these markets in the early stages. And that's what allows us to get, uh, we think, the best deals in these markets uh, because we're just one of the few players in the space. There's no one else really in the space. When it comes to investment platforms, for sure, there's no other investment platforms that focus on early stage and emerging markets. So uh, it's kind of a big opportunity for us in that there's not much much competition. Yeah, interesting. And what do you have? Like, do you have a particular thesis or or area that you look at for investments, or are you kind of more open? Yes. So we're open, we're more agnostic. We do have some areas that have worked better for us and our investors. Uh, one is FinTech. So anything related to payments, uh, also InsureTech, buy now, pay later, uh, lending, for example, access to credit, things like that have worked well for us, especially in Southeast Asia and Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, then we also have success in mobility and logistics. This has been very popular the past few years. So it's like helping bring inventory to small retailers, especially in parts of Africa. We have one in Kenya called Duka that's done really well. Um, And then also we have expertise because my partner, uh, David, his background's more in deep tech. So actually deep tech, both on the software side and hardware side, has been interesting for us. 
We have one company called Vulcan, which builds prosthetics. Um, and they're actually based in Vietnam, which has done really well. And they're now growing into Cambodia and Thailand uh, and also uh, India as well. How does that relate to tech? Like, what are they, what are they doing differently? Uh, Vulcan in particular, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, so Vulcan and... Uh, my background's not tech, so I don't want to. I don't want to overspeak, but, but um, pretty look, much. There's, uh, there's, um, my, I'm, I've got zero technology, so uh, <laughs> this yeah, could work yeah. out well. No, so pretty much, um, they developed a prosthetic where, at a high level, it's way cheaper than, let's say, like a prosthetic built in Germany, for example. So it's way cheaper than that, uh, but the quality is way higher than what's normally found in a place like Vietnam or in Southeast Asia. So it's kind of a midpoint where it's like it's not like a wooden arm, for example, right? Is the yeah, that's like a the, the worst kind of solution. Yeah. But it's not some high tech, super expensive uh, prosthetic. It's kind of a midpoint pricing. That's how they've been able to position themselves in the market because they're more affordable for the for the customers while still being better technology. Like you can move the fingers on the prosthetic. Uh, uh, doesn't create any swelling or pain at the at, at the place where the prosthetic attaches to the limb. Um, you know, yeah. as, you're, as you're saying this, all I'm, I'm I'm thinking now, I've got no idea how much a prosthetic arm would cost. I don't even know at a good price. What would be a good price for a prosthetic arm? So, from what I know, and the company Vulcan has a really interesting slide on this. From what I know, some of the most expensive ones, like German prosthetics, for example, can be upwards of like twenty twenty five thousand dollars. Wow. which is quite expensive us i mean no one can afford that obviously and uh in vietnam for example if you consider like a factory worker who gets their arm cut off uh in by accident or something the person can't afford to pay twenty five thousand dollars. that would be so, the mercedes uh, of um of prosthetic limbs yeah correct correct so, so pretty much for vulcan they can get it for about one thousand to three thousand dollars so it's much cheaper it's much wow. cheaper yeah that's really interesting um Oh, that's cool. And so, um, you guys have you have you recently just closed a, a round? Is that right, yourselves? Yeah, exactly. So we just closed our. Um, we're calling it a pre-series A round. <clears throat> Maybe it's series A. Who knows? Because nowadays everything is so jumbled together. But anyways, it's a forty-five million valuation. We just closed about two million in this round, which we're excited about. Um, it was a round that uh, started about. Eight to ten months ago, uh, took a bit of time because of the markets and also us just uh, wanting to continue raising through this cycle and and building more runway pretty much for cross fund. Uh, but yeah, we we close this round and we're super excited to keep uh, to keep forging ahead. And um, I wonder if you want because I, I probably should have talked a little bit about this at the beginning. But yeah, so you obviously you're raising money that you're going to uh, invest, but you've other investors can just put in money, right? Oh, sure, sure, sure. So pretty much in our model, we work uh, in two ways with investors. One is uh, investors can go on our platform and invest directly into the deals they want. So they can go on the platform, they can look at startups, they can invest directly into the startups that, that they choose with as small as $5,000. So in that case, the investor is getting equity directly in the startups that they, that they pick, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, the second option you're referring to and that was our own fundraise is we do raise capital ourselves as cross fund 
this gives investors equity in CrossFund itself. So actually they're, they become shareholders of the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, we also take investment of as small as $5,000 for that. Mm-hmm. And pretty much when you own equity in the platform, you get equity in all the deals. So it's kind of like a portfolio of emerging market uh, uh, startups. And to your point, yeah, it's like that because we as CrossFund, we take equity in, in each company. The percentage we get is based on the valuation of each company. So it's not the same for each, each startup. Um, but yeah, since we as CrossFund take equity in each deal, our shareholders get equity in each company as well. Got it. Okay, that makes that makes sense. And yeah. so what's, I mean, what's your, what's your longer term play with this? Yeah, so for us, and there's an interesting article that uh, is coming out this week about this, but pretty much for us, we've always seen ourselves as being really complementary to uh, big investment platforms in the US, like the AngelList or Republic or our crowd that are looking at trying to grow into Asia in particular, but it's challenging for them for compliance reasons. T- t- takes a lot of time. You have to build up an investor base in Asia, start building a portfolio here. A lot of U.S. investors aren't so comfortable with Asia yet. A lot of our network is like Singapore, Hong Kong, Middle East, China. Uh, so for us, we've always seen ourselves as being an interesting acquisition target for a company like a, like an AngelList or Public or our crowd. So we've always seen that as being the potential uh, exit path for us. Interesting. And and have you already been have you already been entertaining offers? Is that right? Uh, yeah. So I mean, I don't want to speak uh, too publicly <laughs> on some <laughs> of this, but uh, but there have definitely been discussions that have taken place between us and some of those bigger platforms I mentioned in terms of uh, potentially uh, merging with them or being acquired or doing some kind of equity swap. There have definitely been conversations that have taken place, especially in the past uh, past quarter, I would say. Interesting. And and without pushing for too much detail, you kind of basically you still feel like you've got a bit more um, growth in you before you want to entertain that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, for us, we still think, uh, you know, it's, it's been about 25, 26 months uh, with CrossFund. So we still feel it's early on um, and there's still at least a year to two years of growth left before we'd even consider uh, one of those one of those acquisitions or merger off to, uh, uh, offers, uh, for example. So we're trying to keep pushing ahead. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do think that uh, uh, also when the market normalizes, because to your point, the market's not been great. When the market normalizes, if we can keep growing through this, it'll put us in an even better position when we have those, uh, those talks in the future. Nice. And are there any um, are there any companies that you are looking to invest in at the moment, or, or, or deals that you're assessing that um, you can speak about, even at a high level, that might be sort of interesting to, to some of the listeners? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, so we have a really strong uh, existing portfolio. There are some companies that are doing follow-ons. Uh, one is called Clever. Uh, they started in Australia. Now they're growing into Singapore and Vietnam. Really strong founder. It's actually a Vietnamese Australian founder. Um, they built, uh, it's a fintech app, uh, which is kind of like, um, uh, you get different awards when you buy things pretty much. So it's kind of building loyalty in consumers Uh, and it's done really well. It's, it's built on open banking. Um, we have one company called BU, which is actually our first Y Combinator investment. It's a food delivery app in Ethiopia. 
very interesting founder and a very nascent market that's done really well. So these two in particular from our existing portfolio uh, are ones that uh, I'm really happy with and really proud of. We have some new ones too that I, I, I'm really excited about. I'll just mention two maybe briefly. One is called Seso. It's like uh, it's a prop tech platform. It's in Ghana. It allows people to buy uh, real estate in Ghana and get a mortgage too. It's focused on uh, Ghanaian or African expats living overseas. They want to come back and buy property. Uh, and so, so what what is the what is the issue with buying buying property at the moment in Ghana? Yeah, it's just not very transparent. It's not very transparent. So it's hard to be able to find what does the real property look like? Is that a really certified agent? Is the house even for sale or is it even there? Right? It can be it can be super sketchy where it's not even real. Yeah. Um, and then getting mortgages, like getting the mortgage. So having the bank be able to provide you with the mortgage. It's kind of all seamless on the platform. Wow. You actually go through the banks. So pretty much if you, you know, are banking with X bank, that bank will offer you the SESO platform to find the property and then give you the mortgage through the platform. So it's like wow. a B2B2C model. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Wow. And yeah, then, uh, yeah, yeah. And just the last one, which I think in case anybody's uh, uh, interested in this, is we have one in sustainability tech called Rene, which is based in uh, Dubai and Saudi which pretty much tracks all the waste, the landfill. So if you're putting Coke bottles or Pepsi bottles, whatever it is into the waste, it, it can sense what it is. It tracks that waste to the landfill and sends the data back to the companies like Coke and Pepsi and tells them how much waste went to this landfill, how much got recycled, how much is being reused. And they can get it down to like the waste from which apartment building or which mall, etc. So it's very oh, granular right. data. How are they yeah. doing that? Yeah, they built some very interesting smart bin, pretty much. It's a smart bin that scans each item that enters the bin. So it, it can scan and knows what it is. And then it just tracks that all the way to the landfill. It, it actually uses blockchain to track all this. Um, right. Yeah, it's quite interesting. And then they sell that data back to the uh, consumer. So one, obviously great data uh, for the, sorry, for, uh, uh, to the corporate. So one is great data for the corporate. And one is also helping keep cities clean which is a big focus right now, especially some of these smaller cities like uh, Dubai, Singapore, where it's actually it's actually possible to be able to keep these cities very clean because the population is not that big. Yeah. Wow, yeah. I, and also, I had a very grim thought about murderers sometimes getting rid of bodies and bins as well. That would probably stop that. Exactly. This is the, this is the main uh, challenge that they're solving. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Making sure there's no uh, dead bodies in the bins. <laughs> I love it. Um, oh, it's really exciting, and it's exciting for um, for Droid as well. I mean, like I'm um, just listening to you talk about all of this stuff. It's um, you know, it's not it's not a million miles away from from you know what what Droid's doing and, and what a lot of the Droid holders are interested in. So I'm not surprised that um, that a lot of the um, the Droids have been interested in this deal because it's um, it's sort of right right in that sweet spot for us. Um, very kind of you to, because um, I understand the round is closed, right? So very kind of you to um, make a little bit of space for uh, for Droid as well. Yeah, for sure. I've uh, I've really liked talking to JB um, at Droid. It's been interesting to get to know his background. Um, so I'm excited for Droid to be part of the round. Um, so definitely happy to make the space to accommodate uh, you guys. And I think that yeah, I think a lot of what we're doing has some some synergies with Droid too. So uh, I think there are a lot of ways we can work together. Uh, 
with Joyd and, uh, and the investors. Yeah, I think so too. Um, uh, it's it's very exciting. What are you um, what what are your kind of thoughts for the for the broader market going forward to the end of this year and into next year? What are you um, and particularly yeah. in the markets that where, where you are, what what are you seeing or what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a good question. Um, so pretty much what I saw this year, and and I guess we'll see now in in October November, but I still saw the same kind of cycles as past years. Just um, I guess worse overall, but the cycles were the same in terms of June, July were actually pretty good months for investment, at least for us. August was quiet. September was quiet. Now, October, November tend to be better months for investment Then December was quiet again. Mm-hmm. So I'm still seeing the same kind of cycles, just at a, at a lesser extent. Obviously, the, the volume is lower because the whole market is down, but the cycles are the same. That to me is a good thing, right? It's not like it's been down like every single month, just completely uh not moving at least the cycle is the same um so let's see what happens here october november december if the cycle continues i do think by quarter two of next year things will start to normalize i've always kind of had that timeline in mind so i'm hoping next year in q2 things will uh, uh will get better um but i think it's a good time right now to be investing in an early stage uh, because those companies in early stage by the time they get to later stage Hopefully the markets will normalize and then they can raise those later rounds. So I do think the savvy investors are still investing right now, especially the savvy angels. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, this is a slightly, slightly off piece, but um, I know like in um, a lot of the Western countries, we've been having this sort of cost of living situation with, you know, housing and, and, and people kind of getting squeezed on, on the cost of living. Is that, mm-hmm. Is that happening in these other markets as well, or or not? So this is a very ignorant question. question. So excuse me. No, no, no. It's pretty ignorant. No, it's so excuse me. Question. No, sadly, I, sadly, I, I do think inflation is kind of a global thing right now. Sadly, mm-hmm. I do think everywhere the cost of living is is kind of going up. I wouldn't say it's like decreasing anywhere, um, but of course there are certain places where you know, the cost of living is still very very low, right? So places like Vietnam, for example, the cost of living is very low uh indonesia cost living can be low uh so even though i, I think inflation is kind of global cost of living is still much lower in certain places um that is important for two reasons one is if you're a startup right obviously you want to try and be in one of these places where it's where it's easier to you know uh survive right mm-hmm. you don't have to spend so much on just basic living costs or any kind of rent if you need rent or salaries or whatever but two, also, if you're an angel, right, somebody who's uh, investing, because we have some corporate angels, for example, so maybe it's like VPs or executives of companies and such. Uh, obviously, if their cost of living is lower, there's more kind of disposable income that can go towards investing into things, right? Whether it's public yeah. market or startups or real estate or whatnot. So uh, that's that's also why it's important to take this into consideration. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, like even that, you kind of look at the what your runway is somewhere in, in um, Vietnam with you know a startup with a, a handful of staff. It's going to go a lot further than trying to start something in um, in the valley at the moment, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Actually, the, there's been a big exodus from the valley to other places just because the cost of living has gone way way too high in the valley. Even within the U.S., there's been a big movement to like Austin, Texas. That's kind of come up as a hub now. Yeah, because the cost of living is way is way lower. 
Um, but yeah, you know, investing 50K to 100K, right, into a, into an early stage startup uh, in, uh, let's say, uh, Philippines, for example, uh, goes a lot more than investing 50K to 100K in a company in San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, it's, sure. it's like it's better a, a couple of a couple of nights out and a and a month's rent. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Pretty much, you have three months of, of, of runway. Maybe, maybe only one month. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Ben, this is this is um, super exciting, and um, I, I know the rest of the droids are going to be um, are going to be right into this. So, thank you very much for making the time for us. Um, yeah, thanks, Ryan. Yeah, let's uh, let's let's get it. Let's get it. Let's get amongst it. Yeah. Let's get after it. Looking forward to working with uh, with Droid and hope to chat again soon. Amazing. Thank you, mate. Yeah, take care. Take care. <laughs> well, that was Ben from CrossFund. You know, when that podcast started, I really didn't think I'd be playing the prices right with prosthetic limbs. Just goes to show that you never can tell what life has got in store for you. Uh, I'm super excited about what Ben's building, and I think there's a real opportunity there for Droid holders, you know, both through the DAO and for personal investment. Thank you very much for joining me. I'm just about to get on a plane. I'm on my way to Australia, uh, the spiritual home of Droid Dow, where I, as a man of great culture, plan on living on surf club schnitzel and beer for my entire stay. So uh, until next time, bye counts. <laughs>